This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know as well, Dan Vladar was outstanding for the uh, Calgary Flames last night as uh, they had another tough loss to the Florida Panthers. Alberta, not kind to the Cats. And we'll talk about Matthew Kachuk here in a couple of moments. Uh, we'll talk about the New York Rangers at the bottom of the hour. Vince Mercogliano is going to stop by. You know, Igor Shosturkin laid everything on himself the other night after a disappointing loss against the New Jersey Devils. And Yaroslav Halak is in the starters net today at New York Rangers practice. And you wonder if Vitaly Kratsov gets back in the lineup there. In the meantime, we kick off the program each and every day with Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts. Hello, Friedge. How are you? Good afternoon. Good morning. If you're west of the Eastern Time Zone. Yes, very good. Nice to include our, our, our friends West, as always. Um, before we get to the games last night, and I went on a lot about Seattle off the top, and for good reason. That was just a, a, a crazy, fun game to watch. Um, Arizona last night. The Coyotes moving one step closer to a new permanent home. And this is, you know, the development plan, not just the rink, but the practice rink and, you know, the entire you know entertainment development, the entertainment district. Uh, in Tempe and City Council yesterday recommending this unanimously. There's a May 16th referendum. This will be in the hands of the voters. How did you see last night? I mean, we've gone through like this enormous process with uh, with Arizona and along the way we've met people like Redfield, T-Bomb and various other people um, who have you know popped in and out of hockey consciousness. How did you see the latest chapter? And that was Tempe City Council yesterday. Well, I wasn't surprised that, first of all, uh, Batman and Daly showed up, like basically went in and went out. I, I, thought that, uh, I thought that was important for them to be there. Uh, this is a big vote for them. I mean, it, it doesn't, this vote, I don't know how much it really does. It creates some momentum going towards the, uh, during the referendum, which is on May 16th. But to be honest, Jeff, if, if, you know, the city council was really behind it. They would have made that a binding vote. So uh, it's a nice step, and it's an important step, but it's 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 not the big one. Um, you know, a, a couple of things. Number one, like my father used to be a developer, so I have some experience with this. When I first broke into the business, uh, I did. I spent a lot of time in Toronto City Council when they were. You know, people forget now, but where Scotiabank Arena is. That used to be the old postal building, and, you know, the city had to agree to give it to the Raptors to build their arena there. So I I spent a lot of time in these things, and I know how governments move slow, and and nothing goes at the speed that people want it to go at. Um, You know, the one thing to me that's going to be interesting from here on in, and that's a good night for the Coyotes, no question, is how the question is going to be framed. And this is a big deal. And I was reminded of this this morning. Someone sent me a note this morning. And, and it's true because I've seen these kind of arguments before. The framing of the referendum question is going to be huge. Is it going to be as simple as, do you support the arena proposal? If that's the question, that's a big win for the team. Because that's as, as benign as simple a question as you can get. And if you're the Coyotes, that's what you're going to want. Now, what can happen is, does someone come up here and say, well, hold on a second. Do we want the question to read, well, um, do you support giving the 
team tax breaks to build this arena and the entertainment complex. Suddenly it's a bit different. Like the tone of that question is different. So that's going to be the thing now is how's the question going to work? Because that's going to be a big deal in framing the way that some of these people vote. That's really interesting, and I don't disagree with you. Sometimes we've seen questions like this become very convoluted where you're not sure what you're voting for or whether you vote yes or no. So I'm with you that the, uh, the vocabulary around this um, will certainly be an, an issue or something that uh, the Coyotes will pay close attention to. Um, one of the things that the commissioner spoke about yesterday, well, a couple of things. Uh, he talked about, you know, if this gets, you know, uh, safe passage, if this gets the, uh, uh, the big, the, the, the royal check mark here from the voters, um, that, you know, the NHL would look to bring, you know, one of its, you know, tentpole um, uh, events, whether it's the All-Star Game, whether it's the draft as well. And, you know, even though some general managers are loath to, uh, to hand out no trades, uh, in contracts, uh, Gary Bettman offered up a no trade to the Arizona Coyotes, a no trade that would last for 30 years. Your thoughts on this pledge from the commissioner? I'm not surprised at all about that. He's, he's kind of said that before. It's not the first time I've heard that in this particular case. He's, I, think he, I think that's the reason he was there, just to remind everybody of that. You know, also, don't forget, I believe Arizona was supposed to get an all-star game. Was it 2013? the lockout shortened season. And I, I think he's always kept that as, I can't remember if they were supposed to get the draft or the all-star game or whatever it was, but I think he's also kept that around as a carrot uh, to get a new building and, and we'll get that. Um, you know, I, so uh, like that didn't surprise me. I, I, that's why he was there to remind me of that. And, you know, I know there's some people whose eyes glaze over after this stuff and they're like, why is he fighting so hard to save it? You know, like, I'll tell you why he's fighting. Two of the highest revenue teams in the league now are Vegas and Seattle. And I, I think he sits there and he says, if we can ever get this sorted out, why can't Arizona be the same way? So, and, and you know what, Jeff, I'll tell you something else. I, I, I still wonder, too, about this whole thing with the Suns. Like, where does the Suns sail play in all this? And could... And, and does there ever become a possibility where that arena gets retrofitted uh, to, so the Coyotes can play there too? I mean, uh, like, the, so, like, look, like, I just think that Arizona, I, sorry, I think that Vegas and Seattle have been such revenue successes for the league that it, it's convinced yeah. Bettman even more that fighting for Arizona is the right thing to do. Uh, to say nothing of the explosion in youth hockey in Arizona. Like last time I checked, the most expensive ice, just because they, they can't build rinks quickly enough, the most expensive sheet of ice in North America is in Arizona. And that's because the demand is far outstripping the supply. Like they can't make rinks quick enough. And, you know, I remember when I used to do the old Hockey Night in Canada radio show on Sirius, um, in one of my conversations with Batman, this was right around the time that the Atlanta Thrashers were uh, throwing the keys on the table while the five owners were, and then we're, we're pulling up stakes, and, and Winnipeg was getting their team back. And I, I asked the commissioner, I said, you know, when do you think uh, a market has exhausted itself? Like, when do you think a market is done and it's time to move the team? And he, he said, like, quite bluntly and quite simply, and I've never forgot this, he said, 
as long as someone wants to own the team in an established market that we have, we're going to stay there. The minute no one wants to own it, that's when we go. Like, I always think about that with Arizona. And every step of the way, there's all, you know, Gary Bettman and the NHL have always been able to find someone who wants to own this thing in Arizona for each. Well, I think also it's bad for your it's bad for your league if teams are constantly moving, um, and it just makes your league look unstable, right? And I, I think he's a believer in that too. Uh, I just got a uh, got a note from someone. Uh, Arizona gift clause. Don't forget about Goldwater Institute as well. I would imagine this would oh, be yeah. one of the there's, there's, there's very be, special there's be opposition. There's going to be opposition, no yeah. question about that. Like there, there always is. Um, like nobody thinks this is going to like this is not going to be smooth. But right now, it's. I mean, like I don't have a problem with referendums. Let the people decide. And like the the politicians aren't going to decide it. The Goldwater Institute isn't going to decide it. The people are going to decide it. And and now we're going to get our true. Referendum on Coyotes hockey from the people who have to buy the tickets, and that's probably the way it should be. May 16th, uh, as we mentioned. Okay, a couple of things. Uh, going into last night, you talked over the past couple of days, actually, about the Winnipeg Jets and the Colorado Avalanche. Now, the caveat here is, and I know injuries are something that all teams go through, the Avalanche yeah. are particularly banged up right now. But uh, the Winnipeg Jets just ran over them last night, 5 nothing. Um, you know, they're technically in second place with 29 points, but their win percentage puts them technically above the Dallas Stars uh, for tops in the central. Blake Wheeler with the hat trick added a helper. Cole Perfetti was excellent. Josh Morrissey, again, like this is becoming a real nice story in the NHL. Josh Morrissey's only two behind Eric Carlson for the lead in, in scoring amongst defensemen. What did you take out of that game last night? Well, I, I, thought, Winnipeg, I, I thought Winnipeg's best players were phenomenal. I would, I would, I would say, I would slightly disagree with you that Winnipeg ran over them. What I thought last night was was a masterclass in home ice advantage. Like I went back mm-hmm. and I watched a little bit of that game. Just some of the like the shifts. Like when it was a blowout, I, I went back and I, and I watched some of the shifts, and you watch how. Bonus in the Jets coaching staff, and those players were alert too because they clearly knew it was coming. You watch uh, how they got that top line away from McKinnon, and you know it was yep. basically there. There was a time there when basically like Bednar and Bonus, Bednar was chasing Bonus. He, he was McKinnon would come off the ice, the Wheeler line would come on, and then you know Bednar would try to get the McKinnon line back on again and. It was like if you look at the shift chart from that game, and then watch some of the game itself, it's it's a it's a phenomenal cat and mouse game. And and bonus used home ice advantage to like he got them out there in matchups where they were better and they dominated. They absolutely dominated. Like you know the Lowry line had a lot of trouble with the McKinnon line. There's no shame in that. Like <laughs> it was phenomenal. And Halifax gave them the same saves they needed. But I got to tell you, Winnipeg's big guys, they clobbered everybody else they got put on the ice against. It was, it, it really was a master class in using the whole ice advantage to your advantage. It was, it was really impressive to watch. I got to tell you, that Kyle Connor, 
He's everybody knows yeah. what a good shooter yeah. he is. He's a great passer too. Yeah, his stick skills are exceptional. Like yeah. I, I know we always focus on the shooting, but you know, much like Phil Kessel too, we always think about Phil Kessel and the release coming down the wing, and you know, a snap of the wrist and the red light goes off. He's a great passer as well. I just think that we look at players like that and say, sure, we focus on you know the shot, but that's just an extension of just having great stick skills. So if you're generally if you're a great shooter, and I know there are exceptions, you know, generally you're probably a good passer too. That's just being able yeah. to handle your stick great. And I think that Kyle Connor's in that category. Okay, so if you're not picking up what I'm putting down about the Jets running over the Colorado Avalanche, are you picking up what I'm putting down about the Calgary Flames led by Dan Vladar, who was awesome yeah. running yeah. over the Florida Panthers last night with and by the way, like this is like when you talk about master class. The yeah. Calgary fans last night delivered a master class on how to, you know, how to treat a returning player who left in controversial fashion. The standing ovation for the video tribute, and then when it was over and they dropped the puck, they went about booing him every time he touched it after. Elliot, that was a Picasso by the Flames fans last night. Yeah, I, I thought they did a great job. I, I, I really did. I, um, and, you know, plus... It also helps when your team jumps out to a quick lead like that and you're, you're completely in control of the game. Uh, that makes it a lot easier. Um, you know, I, I have to say, I thought, I'm a little, I, I, like, I was worried about Florida this year. I, I wondered if they'd be able to defend. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm a little concerned about them. I, you know, they, they, they can score. There's no question about that. They've got a lot of talent. Um, you know, Bobrovsky had a weird night last night, Jeff. He he had some really nice saves. And he had some really strange plays, like the the the, the one that he waved at with his glove. Um, you know, you can see that Knight is rapidly becoming the number one guy there, and uh, it's yeah. I don't know. I mean, like I, you can see Florida. Like we've talked about Calgary's identity crisis a bit this year, as they've gone from a 300-point line to how much tougher it's going to be to score for them. Um, but I think Florida's going through one, too. I, I, I think they're trying to figure out who they can count on and who their shutdown players are, and I think they're having some trouble getting there. I wonder if Florida is going through the let's not worry as much about the regular season, let's find a team that can win in the playoffs. And one of the things you that's get alarming, there, though. even though it's that that's the thing you have to get there. Thankfully, they have a, you know, they're they're working with the net here because you know um, Spencer Knight's been been fantastic uh, in net yep. for them. But I, I'm with you on Bobrovsky. Like he looked like didn't it look to you like he was fighting his own body? Like you see this in yes. junior hockey a lot when one of the kids like who's just lighting it up goes through a growth spurt and then all of a sudden you know they're invisible and they look real awkward. Bambi on like they look terrible and you're saying. Hang on a second. Two weeks ago, and I'm watching Bobrovsky last night, and I'm like, you know, you're you know, you're a long way away from puberty here, but it looks like you're fighting your body. Like you're not having growth spurts anymore. I just, it was bizarre, freeze. The the it way he strange. got his body, like, it was bizarre. And I'm walking away, and I'm like, man, Bobrovsky's hard to hit tonight, and he's doing it all himself. That was a that was a tough one to watch. Um, a fun one to watch was Seattle. And, yep. you know, this is the first game in NHL history that's gone into overtime at 8-8. So I was saying off the top, the last goaltender uh, to surrender eight goals. 
and still win a game was Mike Vernon in uh, 1991. It was a 10-8 victory. <laughs> Calgary over the Quebec Nordiques. Just a, would imagine that would have been a, be- a beautiful, fun game to watch. But so much to take away from, from this one. Lead changes. Kings coming back five different times. I mean, that was your nightcap game, and I hope everybody stayed up to watch it because that was... You know, not the most fun for coaches. I'm sure Todd McClellan really didn't like what he saw. Did you see the end of the game? Of course. Did you see the end of the game? Specifically. Well, because did you see see McClellan charge? Yeah, did you see him charge off the bench and just go right to the room? Oh, was not amused, of course. Oh, like... That that was uh, that was one of those picture tells a thousand words. You know, Burakovsky scores to win the game. They're celebrating, and he like charges off the bench, like just with purpose and a stone face and a stone face look there. So, you know, I, I've been thinking yeah. about this one day. First of all, that was great entertainment. It was it was really fun to watch. Like, I, 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 it makes me crazy some people when people are like. Oh, that's not hockey. That's not the kind of hockey. First of all, you don't see 17 goal games a lot, so just just relax, everybody. And secondly, it was it was if we had to watch it 50 nights, uh, 50 times a month, we may not like it as much. But remember that 10-8 game last year, at least Detroit. Like people were like loving it. You know, yeah. once in a while, those things are they're fantastic. Now, so Jeff, it, I was talking with someone this morning about the, this game and. They said to me that, like, everything that the league is doing is moving in this direction. You look at all the crackdowns. We've had slashing crackdowns. We've had obstruction crackdowns. Um, you know, the, the fourth lines are, are more skilled than ever. Um, you know, on defense now, you don't have as many big, strong killers who destroy you. Like the, the days of the Darian Hatchers ordering you as you try to get to the front of the net, those days are over. Yep. And, and like, this is where we're going. Like, the NHL, it, it's taken, and he, and he said to me, he says, it's taken us a while to get here, but this is where we've wanted to go, where it's really, really hard to defend in this game. And I will say this until I'm blue in the face the players are not going to do the things that they do in the playoffs during the regular season. They all change during the playoffs. They get a lot harder to play against, but in the regular season, um, you know, they do, they do do it this way. And this is what I think this is what the NHL's kind of, I don't think everybody likes this, but I do think this is what people have wanted for some time. And it's the direction we're going in. Okay. I'm glad you brought this up. Because you know what I think the big one is, Elliot? Um, I think the big one here is lead changes in the third period. I think what the league is very conscious of is people checking out after two periods and saying, ah, this thing is done, they're just going to lock it down, this team's going to sit on the game. I think what the league is trying to do is, you know, create a rules package, a skills package, and a way the game is played that teams in the regular season can't sit on a lead. Like, you know, going into the weekend, I think it was like 13 or 15 percent of NHL games saw a lead change in the third period, i.e. a team that had the lead going into the third didn't come out with with the lead and didn't win. I think it was between 13 and 15. To me, that's a good thing because the more you can reinforce 
don't go anywhere. Don't leave your seats. Don't turn off your tablet. Don't turn off your TV. Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't go surf Twitter on your phone. Like watch this thing because this thing is not over. I think that's what they're after. I think it makes the game more compelling. It allows you to you know sell more into your third period if you can show that people spend more time and will spend like the full two and a half hours with your product instead of just saying, you know what, I can check out after maybe two hours because this thing is done. I think for me, that's right up around the top of the list of what the league is trying to do with, with how the, the rules package is and the way the, the, the players are skilled and how they can perform. To me, it's all about getting people to watch right to the end of the game. You know, I'm with you on this, Jeff. And the other thing too is, I'll say this, like that controversial goal last week with Dallas and Winnipeg last Friday night, you know what someone said to yep. me? Uh, they said to me, you know why there's people in the, the people in the league who want that goal to count? And, and they understand the concerns about the injuries. Like nobody's, nobody's denying that it's, it's, you don't want Connor Hellebuck getting up and trying to stop yeah. a shot while wearing a mask. But he said, we want goals. We want goals. And is there going to be a change with that Hellebuck play? Yeah, I, I think they will be. I think they'll be on the rest to, to blow it dead a bit sooner. But the other thing they said is we have to have a countermeasure to make sure goalies don't want abuse, don't, don't abuse this because we'll be taking goals off, and we don't want that. So I think a lot of the decisions they're making right now is about how do we get more scoring in there? Like the... I think the playoffs are a completely different animal. I, I absolutely do, and I, I kind of like that, to be perfectly honest. But I, I think in the regular season now, like the playoffs sell themselves. I, like I, I was like Mike Kelly had a stat today from Sport Logic. He said that like sixty percent of the shots were in like in the home plate area in front of the net, which is a a really high yep. number. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I, I think this is what. Like, coaches don't like it. People like the fans don't like it. But I think this is what they're trying to get to. And in the regular season, Jeff, I think that's okay. Uh, I'm with you. The the other thing that I want to throw into this mix, I had a conversation with someone late yesterday evening uh, about the, the Hellebuck situation and what do you do about goaltenders shaking their mask off. And this is someone from the goalie fraternity, so take it again. This is from that side, but I think he brought up a really good point. He said one of the problems is if you spend your entire life as a defenseman or a forward, you don't really have a good sense of what goalies are doing, and we're seeing this now with the discussion around post-play and pegs coming off, etc., and what goaltenders are trying to do. And he said, look, if you're going to create a situation where you're going to try to empower officials to determine whether the goaltender wiggled his mask off deliberately, it's going to be hard unless you've actually played the position. He said, you know, I wonder if they would consider that to be a reviewable offense, and it's a goaltender in the you know in in the NHL's you know they don't they don't like they don't like to say war room strategy room um, situation room that makes that call that you need to have played the position to understand what that goaltender is doing. Do you like that idea? Tell Kevin Woodley to stop complaining. Uh, like that it was not uh, no, Kevin Woodley. It was not I'm Kevin Woodley. Kidding, Kevin. It was not I just Kevin wanted Woodley. to show you up. I just wanted to show you up, Kevin. <laughs> just kidding. Well, I think Ryan Miller's around, right? Like. Uh, First of all, I don't yep. know if they want any more reviews. I, I think, if anything, they want less reviews than they get now. Look, I, I'm willing to listen to any 
particular situation. Um, uh, you know, like we talked about the chin strap, and one GM said to me he thought that was a really good idea. And I think it was the Twitter site Goalie Gear showed why a chin strap wouldn't work, um, which was interesting. I thought that was an interesting point. Um, but, uh, look, I, I, again, at the end of the day, you know what this says? Jeff, they want goals. Like yep. the same percentage this year going, going into last night's game was 9.05, and that would be the lowest in 15 years. And that's what they want. And, and uh, like, I, I think that's where we're going. I, I, I just get an overwhelming feeling around the league that they want goals. And the skill is great, and they want to show as much as, as, as they can in the regular season. And if you really do think about it, Jeff, you know, the way that the defense was played, I don't know, what, 15 years? No, before the, before, before the cap era, you can't play defense like that anymore. You can't do that. So this is where we're headed. And I, I have to say, just in some conversations last night and this morning, I think people like it. And I think they know people like it. And I, I think that they're going to make it, I don't know if I would say as hard to play defense in the regular season as they possibly can, um, but I think it's going to be a lot harder to play defense in general. <laughs> uh, I don't disagree. Uh, we're heavy on time. i got to hustle. Uh, Fridge, as always, enjoy the rest of your walk. Um, always an interesting conversation. Curious to see what happens now with, uh, with Arizona. Uh, curious to see what happens. You know, we began the discussion over the weekend about, you know, the various goaltending issues and, you know, where we're headed with these beautiful, wonderful 1991 9-8 games. Just gorgeous. Yes. All right, thanks, Fried. Have a good rest of your walk.